Hi everyone, I'm Utkarsh, the founder of Network Capital, here with a friend and an author, Dr. Christian Bush. Um, Christian, welcome back to Network Capital. You've, uh, you've had quite an adventurous uh, two years, right? That's true. And, and thanks for having me back. It's great to be here. So Christian, tell me, like, you know, give me, give me some highlights of uh, the, the last year. What all has changed and how has serendipity uh, shaped your life? Yeah, well, it's been it's been fascinating. I mean, you know, I, I uh, the serendipity mindset. My first book came out uh, two years ago, um, and it you know launched into the pandemic. Uh, and so, in a way, we had to practice what we preach and somehow trying to figure out how do we make the best out of this unexpected moment that happened. Um, and then serendipitously enough, you know, it was actually a nice excuse to make it a bit more of a global launch because you didn't have to travel now to different countries where presumably usually you would have had to, to travel to to uh, launch a book. And so it became more global global than than, than we thought. Um, and then, yes, now we're um, launching the paperback, which kind of has this additional uh, chapter that I'm very excited because it's essentially um, a story that I, you know, um, uh, I very deeply personally care about uh, and essentially it's um, you know the, the, there was a, a woman uh, uh, 13 years ago she, she met a guy uh, via a mutual friend uh, Fabian Fodmuller and uh, uh, you know those two stayed in uh, in in touch and then reconnected uh, uh, a few months into the pandemic um, and uh, you know serendipitously so with a couple of different incidences in between um, she now became my wife and uh, we had just had our newborn child. And so, um, you know, it, it, everything turned out, fortunately, um, in, 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 in some nice ways. But um, it certainly, you know, it, it wasn't easy. I mean, I was here in New York. I remember when the pandemic started, we had all these trucks, you know, with dead bodies lined up. We had hospital tents in Central Park. Uh, I had COVID, um, almost died of it. So it was a, a, an extremely tough period. But I reread Viktor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning, um, and it was fascinating because it was all about, obviously, how do you find meaning in this? And, and so one of the kind of meaningful things that came from it was really finding the love of my life and, and uh, having a wonderful child along the way. And you mentioned you also uh, uh, went further on the love front. So it seems like uh, at least there are a few, <laughs> a few nice things coming out of the, the pandemic. Clearly, I mean, the pandemic and love is, both seem to be in the air. And uh, I'm glad that we are getting to discuss some of that. I love the title of your book, uh, you know, Connecting the Dots, The Serendipity Mindset. It seems like um, uh, you're making a broader point that to some extent you can uh, engineer luck. Can you engineer luck? Yeah, I mean, the, the bigger idea really is to say, hey, usually when we think about luck, we think about blind luck. We think about things that happen to us, right? Being born into a good family, uh, all the things we can't really pick. Uh, and I think that leads to a lot of social inequality and so on, those kind of blind luck incidences. But then there, you know, is that kind of uh, smart luck, which serendipity is, which is all about, uh, you know, when you look at the most purpose-driven, successful, inspiring people around the world, they have in common that they intuitively cultivate it. They intuitively cult cultivate unexpected positive outcomes. And so a lot of our work has focused on 
how what is the pattern behind this what does the social entrepreneur somewhere in the cape flats in cape town have in common with the ceo of mastercard and 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 even though it's very different stories of serendipity they have similar processes in common and so i've gotten really excited about this idea that it's always the same process of spotting and connecting dots and that means we can create more uh, dots but also we can learn <clears throat> how to connect them better yeah why did you reread victor frankl's man's search of meaning it seems like you were yourself in a slightly dark spot in the midst of the pandemic and walk us through the thought process what did you learn from it well victor frankl was was fascinating because he um he he actually helped me early on in my life a, a lot when i was in a, in a similarly kind of tough period and he you know he was in a concentration camp which you can imagine is is the toughest situation one can 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 think of uh, where every day you might die, where there's literally no hope. Objectively, there's no meaning in this situation. It is completely meaningless. And so he said, you know what? Even though it is a objectively meaningless situation, I will create some meaning and I, I will imbue meaning in this. And, and so what he did was, for example, he would say, I will still talk with fellow prisoners tomorrow, make them feel better. And by doing this now, I have a reason to wake up tomorrow morning because I still have to talk with more prisoners so that they feel better. And so I, I really enjoyed that idea that, look, if you're in a tough spot, the way you create meaning is to somehow try to contribute something that gives you a reason to wake up tomorrow morning. And I think that's something that, you know, I've, I've always lived by that. But I think at the moment, especially, you know, with COVID and everything that happens around us, trying to still find some kind of meaning in a tough situation, I feel, is 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 at least for me, has been the best way to alleviate anxiety and, and related questions. Yeah. And in the pandemic, like creating serendipity became uh, harder, right? Everything went online pretty quickly and we had to basically change our work lives. You're a professor, you know, teaching, everything went online, meeting people. Uh, were you able to still inculcate a serendipity mindset? Were you able to connect the dots digitally? You know, it's interesting because you know, now more than ever, because if you think about it, previously, I think a lot of times serendipity in our lives has been, you know, kind of almost like a nice to have, right? It's great to find the love of your life. It's great to find a new job, but you can survive without it in a way. Versus now, a lot of times out of necessity, we had to somehow create serendipity. If you're a brewery and COVID happens and you're losing uh, your main customers, restaurants, now you have to say, oh my God, yes, I can use my uh, alcohol to produce hand sanitizer. Or if you're a mm. designer fashion company that, that you know, loses their main customers, you might be like, oh my God, we can use our capabilities to produce masks. And so it's really kind of, I've seen that a lot with my students where a lot of them, you know, had their careers lined up, internship in this bank or this consultancy and this and this and this and this. And then COVID happened and that all went away. And that was really the point where it was about saying, hey, how can we use some of these things that we're talking about and really say, okay, take it as a step back, take it as a opportunity to reevaluate what seems meaningful to you and, and what really kind of could be about it. You always took for granted that you wanted to be in a bank, but maybe now you can think about what is it that I want to do in a bank and, and, and could I do that in other areas as well? And can I now have the conversations that will then in half a year or so, once people hire again, actually lead me towards that? And so it, it was a beautiful moment for some people to reorient themselves, to find more meaningful career tracks for themselves. Um, I think it's obviously always tougher on people who uh, cannot financially afford to have those processes. So I think it's, uh, you know, I, it always 
like I always have this visual when I, you know, when you have people on the Zoom screen and then you have the students uh, at a beautiful Florida mansion, they'll be fine, right? Versus like you have the kid in some kind of impoverished area somewhere in, in, in New York where you have 20 people in one apartment and 10 of them have to go out and work um, in, in, in the pandemic. Um, you can see how, how, how COVID exacerbates a lot of societal inequality. And so I think, you know, I, a lot of the kind of serendipity that I've seen is, has been very necessity-based across the mm. board. But I think it's been tougher for people who actually had to really fight for survival, quite literally. But I'm sure we'll talk also more about, I think a lot of companies have also um, found more virtual ways to, to create serendipity as well. So I think there's a lot of things yeah. we can learn there as well. Yeah, I mean, network capital, for example, like uh, we had to uh, start doing all our programs and all, uh, like a large number of our meetups uh, in a hybrid fashion and online fashion. And uh, it did require a lot of re-engineering and setting the processes. I think many companies are better off. Many companies are not, but it's a process. And I think uh, in your Thrive article, which talks, which picks up a uh, a section of the book you give examples of some of these companies uh, so could you tell us more about how uh, organizations are embracing the serendipity mindset successfully and what are the kind of organizations that are struggling to do so yeah well one thing i mean one practice that i'm a big fan of is, is a practice that has been used by, by companies around the world uh, since since quite some time actually um, which is which is the random coffee trial and, and random coffee trial is all about saying usually one of the key beautiful things in companies that happens when you're in the office is those beautiful water cooler moments where you bump into someone and then you're like oh my god such a coincidence here's an opportunity that unexpectedly evolves and especially for more junior people it's nice right that you know that you could bump into the boss of your boss and then you know you could have that kind of unexpected opportunity and that has been taken away and so the the um, virtual coffee trial is really about saying people within an organization give times when they are free and then they get randomly matched with people across hierarchical levels, across different departments for a quick coffee with an inspiring prompt, right? So something like, what's the key challenge you're facing and how can I help? And so what happens now is that those people, you know, have these quick coffees and it's not only a way to create serendipity, but also to kind of create this sense of belonging again to a larger mm. company. Because, you know, as you can imagine, you know, people think they're very connected, but actually they're only connected with the few team members that they are on a Zoom call every week or every day. Um, but with the larger organization, you're actually not that connected. And so you, you lose that sense of belonging. You see, you know, great res resignation, all these things, because there's obviously no real uh, sense of, of deep um, belonging in, in that regard. And so I think those kind of practices are beautiful ways to create serendipity, but also more broadly to make people feel closer to a company uh, and, and actually make things happen. And so I think companies that, that find it difficult, you know, a lot of times you, you have, I think, especially old school companies, right, where you have old school leadership and like more pattern, mm. uh, paternalistic kind of or matriarchal structures where I think it's harder to, to have those kind of things um, happen within them. But also, um, you know, one thing that we've seen in our research, we did a large study with CEOs around the world that have navigated by COVID successfully. And one of the things come, that came out of it is, is really that they're extremely good at saying we have an approximate sense of direction, but we're also going with the unexpected where it leads us. And, and we don't see that mm -hmm. as a threat to us, but actually as a beautiful 
um, you know, innovative approach that there could be something that's even more interesting, right? Like in this example of the brewery. And that's tougher for companies that have this kind of old school mindset that, you know, this is what we've always been and we will always be that, right? That's that's tough right, to do in a pandemic. Yeah. So um, are there some people who naturally embrace the serendipity mindset uh, and are there people who struggle with it? One factor you did mention is the economic or social, say, standing. Um, anything else? Uh, um, is this a mindset issue at all? Well, you know what's interesting is so. So actually, a lot of the work that we're doing is in extreme resource constraint settings. So that's in you know parts of sub-Saharan Africa, for example. Um, I've, I'm spending a lot of time in Kenya, for example, and and in in the Cape Flats in Cape Town. And actually, you will see people who have an amazing serendipity mindset there. And so even in the most resource constrained of environments, you will see some people um, who, who do it, um, but of course their starting level is very different, right? So me sitting here in the West Village in New York and having access to education and networks, the starting position is very different to a social entrepreneur who starts out in Kibera, uh, one of the largest mm. slum areas in, in, in uh, Southern Africa. And so um, while we see the mindset across different areas, the, the propensity of how much you can do with it um, is, is, of course, very different. I think one of the key responsibilities that we have as you know people who can help shape organizations is to really have those starting positions be stronger, right? So in a way, it's not only about giving a kid from a less privileged background a scholarship. It's also saying, how do I give you three <clears throat> mentors who can directly help you with the job afterwards? Or things like this that actually level the playing field more than just kind of like, you know, unilateral, non-holistic approaches. So I think the first step to your point is really um, to, 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 to do something around that structural inequality that keeps some people from having more serendipity happen mm. in their lives. Um, another one, I think, you know, it's interesting you mentioned, um, what I found fascinating is that I initially thought that people, people like us, right, who intuitively cultivate serendipity, I, I assumed that would be kind of the main group for, for whom this kind of work would be really relevant, right? So I was thinking, mm -hmm. well, this could be a great way to have a vocabulary for people like us to say, this is what I'm doing and to legitimize it and to say, there's a science-based foundation that we're not just kind of like stumbling around and, and somehow <laughs> things happen, but actually there's, there's, there's a process to it that actually mm. is all about mindset and about creating a culture that allows you to have more of that serendipity happen. And so I think that's something I'm extremely excited about. And I think that fortunately has been working pretty okay. But then what I've been surprised by and what, what I actually now enjoy the most is people who I thought absolutely would not be open to that mindset. So, you know, the person who says, I don't, I don't believe in serendipity, or I don't need serendipity, or I don't think I can create my own luck. Once those people start doing the first kind of exercises, you know, we can talk about some of those asking questions differently or setting hooks or or other ways. Once they start doing it, they are the ones whose life changes the most. Because look, our lives, we can incrementally change. We can do more of those practices. We can we can legitimize what we're doing. But but those people, essentially for them, it changes their whole life because it's kind of... And, and to give you one example, um, a colleague of mine in London he would, uh, you know, he came to me when I started with this work and he was like, Christian, um, uh, when I started kind of like with, with the distribution of the work, he, he came and he's, he was like, Christian, look, I love what you're doing. I love, you know, what what um, what what, uh, what your work is about, but I don't need serendipity in my life. Like I, I have a good life. I, you know, I have everything I need. Like I don't need that. So we made a deal and we said, 
go out there and just you know do a couple of things slightly differently. Ask a couple of different questions, cast a couple of hooks, and then come back. He comes back after a few weeks, and he's like, Christian, oh, my God, I didn't know life can be so joyful. And and to me, really, this kind of like is the qualitative step change that that people who I could never pitch to them. Like I can look if we would talk and I would tell you about it, you would probably, you know, the first times we connected, you intuitively resonate with it. Right. Because that's your modus yeah. operandi. Whereas someone that's like right. this, I can't I can't pitch them like I, can, I will not I will not be able to convince them. The only way to actually convince is to have them try it themselves and then see, oh, it actually changes my life. And and, and, and that's what I found most um, joyful on my end to to see that change happen in people's lives and, 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 and them saying, oh, my God, that actually changes what I'm what I'm doing uh, in a in a very meaningful way. So what are these magical questions or what are some of these hooks that we can employ to make life more joyful? Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm a big fan. Actually, just, sorry, I had this, um, my straw is, uh, my straw is this, um, disassembling itself. It's these uh, new, you know, the new carton type, uh, straws yeah, yeah. disassemble all the time. Um, no, so, 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 um, I'm a big fan of, of very simple questions, but that, that, that kind of allow for, a broader opportunity space so so instead of asking the dreaded what do you do question that puts everyone into a box um asking something like what do you enjoy doing or uh what do you find most interesting about xyz presentation that you just watched or whatever it is something that under like helps you a little bit more uh, getting an understanding of what the person is about um and to give you an example if you would go to a fishing village in in italy um and uh, you would ask the fisherwoman uh, so what do you do? Uh, she would say, well, I'm a fisherwoman. And you would probably say, well, there's not that much we have in common. Like you're a fisherwoman. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm doing an exciting podcast and, and other exciting things. So what do we have in common? Right. Mm-hmm. But if you would ask her, you know, what do you enjoy doing? She might say, oh, well, I enjoy being out on the sea. And like when I'm there, like that's when I feel most alive. And you might say, oh, my God. You know, I can relate to that endlessness. That's that's what like podcasts are about, where you can explore knowledge and it's endless in its in its in its potentiality. Whatever it is, doesn't matter. But the point is, by by trying to understand why someone does something or why they are interested in something, you find mm. these unexpected overlaps that then even the most different people um, um, ha- have something in, in common. Um, and and they're actually one of my favorite um, strategies to to allow that to happen. Those kind of overlaps is the the hook strategy Uh, and the hook strategy is really all about this idea um, and we briefly talked about this at at some point because it's it's kind of something i'm i've I've seen work in 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 every context which is you know doing a serendipity journal where you essentially just write down two or three interests what are you interested in at the moment like in my case for example how to get the serendipity mindset into curricula and and a couple of other things and then write them down and then in every conversation now I'm casting these hooks and I'm, I'm bringing in a side sentence saying this and the amount of times where someone would be like, Oh my God, such a coincidence. My aunt runs a school in uh, Bangladesh. You should connect uh, is, is incredible. And, and the person I learned that from is, is Ollie Barrett in London, mm-hmm. wonderful entrepreneur. And you know, if you would ask him this dreaded, what do you do question? He would not just say, I'm a technology entrepreneur. He would always say, I'm a technology entrepreneur recently read into the philosophy of science, but what I'm really excited about is playing the piano. And so what he's doing here is he's giving you three different hooks where you could be like, oh my God, such a coincidence. My sister Mm. is teaching on the philosophy of science. 
coming as a, as a guest lecturer. Oh my God, such a coincidence. My, we just started hosting Piano Martinez. You should stop by. The point is every interaction, every conversation we can use to cast a couple of hooks. And then from the most unexpected of places, the new client emerges, um, your uncle's friend might know someone who gets you the new job, you name it, but we have to let people know about it by casting a couple of hooks. And it's, it's in a way the opposite of pitching to someone, right? It's not about like trying to push something on someone. It's just saying, let's put some stuff out there and then see what people pick up. Yeah, for sure. Um, have you looked at uh, uh, the six degrees of separation, like the research on six degrees of separation? I mean, you've set up networks. Now you're a professor who's written about serendipity. Um, Reflect on that a bit for us, and what does that mean in today's hyper-connected digital first world? Yeah, well, it's it's interesting, right? Because if if you think about that, that we are all somehow um, actually relatively close, uh, you know, to each other. Like, if the furthest person away is is kind of six degrees away, in, in, in for, for some people, for well-connected people like yourself, it might only be two or three degrees, right? Um, it's incredible. I think when you're, uh, I always discuss that with students of mine, where you know, if you have two adjunct professors, like, uh, uh, you know, someone who was the CEO at MasterCard, uh, essentially you're third degree from the Pope, you're third degree from all the key people in the world, because that person uh, knows a lot of these people, right? And so um, I think what's, what's really important about is, this is that it, it gives us potentiality, right? It gives that, hmm. that idea that you are so close to literally every person in the world. There's no person in the world. If you're going to a school like like NYU, but even if you if you if you you know whatever whatever um, uh, environment or setting you have, there's probably two or three degrees away from you an amazing person that 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 you could directly access. And I think it's fascinating because um, you know a lot of people don't start out having strong social capital, right? A lot of us had to build that social capital and and that idea that. Uh, those networks can uh, can be meaningful, but also help us in, in what we're doing. Um, and so I'm actually a big fan of thinking about how do I increase that kind of um, <clears throat> work, especially when I don't have those contacts yet, right? And so one thing I've done, for example, with people who have tough backgrounds. So let's say if you just came out of prison or, you know, like really kind of like rough CVs where you don't have a lot of, you know, um, um, job opportunities in, in front of you and, and you might not have the connections to really kind of join a virtual event or a physical event at you know that's open to all like Royal Society of Arts or LSE or you name it and go to a, an event where you have 500 people or so in the room and then whenever the the speaker is done and they ask okay who has a question you're the first one who kind of like energetically gets up and says I have a question and so you know not too much doing it, but but in a way that they can't ignore you. And and as a moderator, I can tell you, you know, we always like hope that people actually will ask questions. So 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 it's it's likely that you can ask it then, and same virtually as well. Um, and and then really kind of asking the question in a way that says, thank you so very much for this inspiring speech. So making it all about the speaker, as someone who just went through X Y Z, and then really sharing something about oneself, like it could be whatever one feels comfortable. I had a question or wanted advice about X, Y, Z, right? So it's a question you're asking. It's all about the speaker. But in the middle, you build the hook. And that hook, usually what it does is there's always at the end of a talk, 
four, five, six, seven people coming to that person saying, my God, such a coincidence. My brother went through a similar process. Like, I, I want to put you in touch with like the company that hired him. Or, oh my God, such a coincidence. My sister is actually working with people such as yourself. Um, you should come in touch. My point here is that what we're underestimating is the latent social capital. It's the, 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 the social networks that we don't see. But actually, even if we don't know the speaker, the speaker now can give us their social capital, their connections, their first degree connections or second degree connections, if we are smart enough to open it up for us. And so I think that's kind of in a way um, to your point that we live in a network world where people are, some people are extremely well connected. And so the question then is, I think if you don't have that social capital yet, how do you in a way leverage the social capital of others around you in a, in a very meaningful way, not in a kind of pushy or, or um, exploitative way, but, but in a way that actually um, allows people to come to you. And, and I think setting hooks is, is the most effective way to do that. For sure. Uh, Christian, have you been interested in this uh, social capital, latent social capital from the beginning? Did you have a, a linear career path where you sort of knew your research interest and your entire life has been a pursuit of that? Or has been uh, the journey towards your career a little bit of uh, randomness, a little bit of serendipity, a little bit of maybe destiny? I don't know. Which one? Yeah, no, it's, it's certainly been very serendipitous. And I think one of the things that I found um, interesting, and, and we talked about Viktor Frankl earlier. So when I was younger, um, you know, last time we met, we talked about how I had a near-death experience when I was was quite young. And, and um, I it took me on an intense search for meaning. And I, I started reading Viktor Frankl around that time. And what I realized is I enjoy the most connecting people, connecting ideas, and seeing how that all fits together. And, and that set me on a road, you know, as community builder, um, company builder, and so on, and being very focused on how do you build meaningful relationships. And it's fascinating because if you think about it, you know, when you think about what people regret when they're on their deathbed, um, they never say, I regret that I didn't get a fifth Mercedes into my garage or that I, you know, they, they usually say, I regret that I haven't lived up to who I could have been. I regret that I didn't live up to, you know, being having high integrity or that I didn't focus on the most meaningful relationships in my life. And, and I think that kind of idea that at the end of the day, what is life about? Life is about connecting with people in a meaningful way, right? Like everything else, you know, so what? Like when you're on your deathbed, you you might not care that much about. It. And so I think it's it's kind of, to me, that period at the beginning, you know, um, made it very clear to me that that. I always want to do something that is around building relationships in some way or the other, um, but also helping others do that. Because I've seen, you know, a lot of social inequality in the world, for example, comes from people not having that access, right? I mean, we talked about this. A lot of my research has been around how enterprises and social enterprises use networks to scale up their impact and scale up what they're doing. And a lot of this is really, you know, you might initially not have those networks. And so really thinking about how do we enable people to get those networks is, is a big part of, I think, for their success. For sure. Um, you and I have both studied networks. We've built networks. Um, one thing that occasionally comes at me or I've heard is that, you know, I've reached a stage in life where I don't want to meet new people. I just want to meet the people that I know more often. So, um, have you come across this saying? And uh, if yes, uh, tell us more about it. Yeah. Well, it, you know, it's interesting because 
unfortunately, I guess there's only a finite number of people we can meet and, and you know, there's a finite amount of time that we have to, how long we can meet people. And, and so unfortunately that kind of like leads towards thinking about, okay, what is a, a way to, I mean, filter is not a good word, but, but to really think about like, what is a good way to organize how to spend time with whom and with whom to spend that time. And I've always been, been, been fascinated by that, by that question of, um, green and red lights and energy in the sense of that that um when when i go into a room um i look at people and i see green or red and 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 mm. green are the kind of people where i feel intuitively this is someone kind of you know wh whom i really want to catch up with and connect with and then red is kind of the person where you know when i was younger it's the kind of person where i feel ah it's a bit of an icky energy or an icky kind of type of person mm. Um, and, and when I was younger, I'm the kind of person who then goes into the red zone and tries to kind of like get everyone excited in the red zone about new ideas and new this and new this. It's, mm. it's in a way the challenge that comes from then still connecting, especially with those people you feel who might be very different from what we're doing. And I think the older I'm getting, the more I'm like, nah, you know what? I also just really want to like be more with the green people and 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 really kind of um, um, spend more time with them because I I focus so much on convincing the red people uh, to become green uh, that mm. that I, I have neglected a little bit too much the, the green people and long story short I, I feel um, yeah one of my key learnings especially with my amazing wife who who whom I've learned a lot from in that regard is I think I I focus very much on kind of um, you know the the, the kind of acquaintance type sphere and too little on the kind of close friend sphere and now i'm kind of uh, going back to uh back to the roots in a way in that regard as well and, and and really being much more conscious of those kind of the smaller circle friends and and what that means and i guess you know it's, it's fascinating how i've seen that you know in a similar realm i think with people around me i think the pandemic probably made us all rethink a little bit how we whom we have close and how we have them close and it's interesting that you thought yeah. about this recently i mean what made you think about it or do you feel there was something that so I have actually, you know, I have written uh, uh, about uh, the pandemic and the changing network geometry. It's a chapter in my next book, which is uh, just coming out. And some people I spoke to said this, that the pandemic made me realize that I don't want to spend my energy on knowing more people. I want to spend my energy just deepening my relationship with the few people I know. And uh, it got me thinking that will this come at the cost of serendipity and will they regret it? So I thought I'll ask the serendipity expert about it. And that's the that's how this question came to fore. Interesting. And that's an interesting point, right? Because I guess one key assumption that that I feel um underlies some of our work is is to say you can have a lot of serendipity with the people you know already, right? Like I can by me spending more time with you, I'll probably have 10 times more serendipity than if I go to a random event here in New York and I meet 20 people. But, you know, there's not the same level of connection or the same level of kind of us both knowing a lot of people and, and, and stuff. And so in a way, it's more likely that we will have serendipity together than me with kind of like 20 other people that I get to know. And I think so I think my point is that I think there's actually a lot of serendipity we can have, especially with the people we know already. But because we assume that there's kind of some kind of routine we have, you know, with our colleagues, for example, I always see that with small teams. Right. The idea always is small teams. I know them, there's nothing like unexpected that we can learn. Yeah, but like as soon as you ask different type of questions, there's so many unexpected new things coming and so many new client leads might come from the boyfriend of your sister 
uh, you know, things where, where you wouldn't expect it, but but in a, in a way it's always there. And so I think it's interesting to me that that a lot of times I feel, especially with my close friends, there's a lot of serendipity once I allow for it. But because we usually are in a routine where we, you know, talk about similar things or, or um, in a way don't allow for that potentiality, it happens less. But I think it's, it's a really interesting area that, that you're exploring there. And, I mean, good luck for the book. I mean, I, I'll certainly check it out as, as soon as it's, it's, it's coming out. No, thank you, Christian. Um, you and I both have, uh, you know, strong friendships, relationships, etc. And I think your point is so valid about uh, having serendipity with the same person with the help of, say, the hook theory or by asking more questions or knowing more about it. Do you practice that? Or let's just take your wife or let's just take a close friend of yours. How do you practice this with depth-based relationships? Yeah. Yeah, it's a great point because I think to, to me the big question always is how to. Um, it, I feel like there's always a thin line between between something that is natural and authentic, and then the kind of trying to force it and and you know kind of yeah. It's almost like you know these New York Times love questions where like you have these what is it thirty six questions or something to make <laughs> yeah. someone fall in love with you, and then all these VCs and incubators have used it for their co founding teams so that they kind of can build rapport and fall, fall in love with each other. I think that's 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 interesting and it's, it's kind of nice as kind of one-offs, but I think it's, you, you usually probably want to have like a more uh, intuitive way to, to do that with, with partners and friends. Something that I found really interesting is two, two things. One is um, I've been very inspired by a friend of mine who has been together with his um, wife for a very long time, very happy. Um, and they have a simple ritual where, you know, in the morning they ask each other, um, what do you want to achieve today and how can I support you? And in the evening, they ask each other, what did you learn today? Um, and, and, and what that does is when you ask someone, what did you learn today? Is that during the day, the other looks out for learning opportunities. But also, there's always this thought of the other, right? You're always thinking of the other. And, and, and it's a beautiful way to kind of like constantly somehow be connected, even if you're not in the same room together. But again, also, I think the focus on learning and surprisingness like in a way allows for kind of new dots to emerge and, and things. And that's really the second thing I've, I've thought a lot, you know, I'm a new parent um, and, and I've thought a lot about how does serendipity apply for to parenting and to, to, to families. And I've always found it fascinating that when you ask kids, for example, the simple question, like at dinner in the evening, you know, was there something that surprised you today? Um, or, you know, like anything that is kind of like where the unexpected plays a role, it's amazing how much kids bring to the table in terms of observations, in terms of like unexpected, like, oh yeah, teacher X like said this, but that doesn't make sense because this, and and then you kind of like realize, oh my God, yeah, maybe that's a whole book we could write about this that teachers don't mm -hmm. know about X, Y, Z, whatever it is, doesn't matter. But the point is, I think um, it's simple things, simple questions, right? What's surprising you? What's, what's kind of, what did you learn? What is it? But making it in a non kind of, um, what's the word? Um, um, in, in a non-artificial way. I think that's the main thing. At the beginning, though, it feels always a little bit kind of like, you know, artificial, but then you, in a way, make it a normal part of conversation and it becomes more natural and, and part of, of it. Yeah. Uh, Christian, did you reconnect with somebody or a set of people during the pandemic? And do you have any advice for people who are looking to reconnect and who are looking to start on the serendipity journey, maybe? Yeah, well, I, I I certainly reconnected with with old friends because I think it's, um, yeah, to, to exactly our conversation, you know, kind of reconnecting to back to the roots in a way a little bit. 
Um, but I, I, I'm a big fan in general, also for, for your uh, community members, like of, of just kind of small thank you notes, like even like being at a small postcard or like a quick call or like a, I've started doing this with, with old mentors of mine, for example, where, um, you know, because I've always been kind of like fast checking things and like check, 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 check. I haven't taken the time to properly thank people to say, thank you so much, professor, during my master's years, you were the one who got me into the academic track or thank you so much, you know, XYZ investor, you were the first investor who believed in us when we did XYZ company. And I think um, what I found beautiful is, you know, I did that with maybe 10 people where it was just kind of, I, I wrote very heartfelt kind of emails and said, hey, look, thank you so much. Like just, I'm literally just checking in to say thank you. And, and you've had such a big impact on me. And it was amazingly beautiful to reconnect with them because it's kind of, it's, it's, it, 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 it's it's a beautiful reminder, I guess, of our journey also, and of, of of what's 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 happening on our journey. But also, these are the kind of people who really they've been part of our journey, so they truly care, right? And I, and I think that's uh, in in a way, um, um, again, I'm sure a lot of serendipity might come from it because they now again know what I'm doing, so I'm sure they will also kind of make some kind of connections around it, whatever. But that wasn't that isn't kind of the major. That's that's always like beautiful secondary effects that come from these things. But that's not why why I would do it. Like I I do it because I feel it's it it feels beautiful to acknowledge someone and then them acknowledging that they actually like found that kind of you know that they are grateful for for that. And so I'm a big fan to really kind of just send a couple of grateful notes notes from time to time and 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 updating people about things and and. I think a lot of times that's where a lot of beautiful things come from. But again, the most beautiful thing is to actually do it and, and just feel that one does it. Right. Um, when you've had a bad day or when say people have had a bad day, do they forget about the beauty of serendipity or are there things that one can do after a bad day or a bad week to sort of uh, look at serendipity as a way of uh, looking at the world with fresh set of eyes? Yeah, well, it's a great question because I think you know when I had COVID, for example, I you know I had nine one one on speed dial. It was a, a very severe time. It's tough, right? It's tough to then think in terms of opportunities and and reframing and everything else. But actually, again, that also then turned out to be an inflection point, right? Like that kind of tough period <clears throat> turned out to become an inflection point for me meeting the love of my life and now having a beautiful child and so on. And so I think it's. It's it's tough in those moments, right? It's tough in those moments to say, "Yay, great!" Like now, let's reframe the situation and move on and 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 go from it. But that's actually where the most interesting opportunities usually come from, right? Out of these kind of crisis moments, being at a breakup in a relationship where it's like you know one door closes, but that door had to close in order to open up for like the really good thing, right? Like if you would still be in 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 a relationship with that person who suits you, but not ideally that kind of like then precludes you from actually having the real person that could be with you. Um, and, and and so I think it's, again, those moments where if I wouldn't have had COVID two years ago or one and a half years ago, um, well, two years already now, Jesus, time is running. Um, um, uh, I, I, I would have never opened my eyes to the idea of, hey, look, I have to spend more time on my personal relationship uh, uh, and, and really kind of um, you know, figuring out with with whom I really want to be in life and and so on. So I think it's really around this where where the reevaluation of things a lot of times comes from those kind of crisis moments. And so it's easier said than done. But I'm a big fan of these Adam Grant ideas of when you are in a tough situation, try to disembed from it and ask yourself, 
what would I tell a friend? Because we we're really good advisors usually to friends, but not really to ourselves. And so it's really about kind of perspective taking and saying, okay, what would I tell a friend? And in those situations, a lot of times what we would probably tell a friend is, hey, look, like there's also something that might come out of this. There's an opportunity in here. And I think that's kind of what the serendipity mindset is about to say, is there still some kind of meaning or opportunity in this situation, even if it feels tougher than 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 we would like it to? For sure. In your book, you've got uh, endorsements from like some of the top professionals and entrepreneurs, Arya Huffington, Reid Hoffman. Uh, was there a role of serendipity in getting these endorsement or blurbs or you already had like in-depth relationships with people like that? Yeah, well, I mean, with with in, with that regard and with regard to the book, it was a mixture. But but in general speaking, what I've seen a lot with, um, you know, people who got amazing blurbs from from people, a lot of times they just say, look, like I will contact the 50 most inspiring people who have like some kind of, you know, relationship with this content. And then, you know, you do that with 50 people and you will get one. Right. Like it's kind of it's 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 in a way one of these things we talked mm. about degrees of separation. Almost everyone is on LinkedIn. Almost everyone is second or third degree from someone. Um, so, so trying to get an introduction to someone or to, you know, online, you can literally find everyone's email, right? Like it's incredible how everyone's email literally is online and you can, you can find it. So it's, it's really something where I feel a lot of times it's, it's really like with everything in life, like jobs, like with every application, it's a, it's a numbers game. And, and it's really about saying, how do you contact as many people as you can that, that you find extremely inspiring and then like are extremely kind of authentic with them in the sense of like really truly not sending a mass email to 50,000 people, but really saying, this is the one person who inspired me about XYZ and I'll tell them that. And if they feel they want to then support that, that's great. Um, and, and I think that's also a great way, by the way, for those of you who, who aim to write a book and, and you know, uh, it, really this idea that asking someone for an endorsement is also a great way to just have someone read your book. And, and so, so you know, it, I think it's it's always nice um, to, something I underestimated with, with the hardcover version is how much there is in terms of really kind of sending out review copies and having people just read through it and, and engage with the content. I was like, no, we'll just kind of, whenever it comes out, it'll come out. No, I think engaging people around it, that's where the, the true magic comes uh, comes in. And so I'm a big I'm a big fan now of really thinking about how do I have quite a few people read the book beforehand um, as endorsers, but also as informal endorsers, right? Posting about it, things like that. Hmm. Um, I think one of the things that you could definitely do, I'm not sure if you've already done it or not, is to have a serendipity community. Mm-hmm. So we have serendipity Thursdays on Network Capital where... Oh, nice. uh, people in groups of five or six are matched and they don't know each other, but they're just connected in the same community. And often they have really interesting uh, conversations. Sometimes they get jobs, sometimes uh, other things happen. Maybe like, you know, we'll try and have, this is part of our uh, Serendipity Thursdays module. And maybe you could set up your own community, a Serendipity community that reads the book and connects with each other. Yeah, well, I'm as you know, I'm a big fan of communities, and and you know we're we've certainly been been doing um you know some work around the community part and and so on. So I'm I'm a huge fan of of anything that somehow um you know brings communities together. And I think obviously you've built an amazing community um with 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 yours. Um, so you know wherever there are touch points, always excited. <laughs> uh, for sure, um, <clears throat> Christian. Um, 
what was the most meaningful note someone sent you after reading the book and uh, what if anything was the pushback that someone had uh, against the book it's a great question i think uh, in terms of the most meaningful one two 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 one is 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 a the mother of an autistic son who you know when covid happened her son uh, now didn't go to school anymore and so she had to be at home with him and she felt completely overwhelmed and so she said look like with these tools in the book now i saw that as a situation where i can meaningfully connect with him for the first time where we can now somehow meaningfully actually develop a deeper relationship and see that as something and so she sent a beautiful thank you note saying hey thank you like for helping me redefine the relationship with my son um to to me that was 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 beautiful also because you know in my mind we talked about this in my mind the content is mostly for people in companies and organizations or people you know now parenting or 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 so on but i think this this deeper idea of 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 coping with anxiety coping with with other themes um that's really something that i've i've seen a lot i mean i um the second note really was from a psychologist um who said look to me this is one of my major toolkits now i use with patients around anxiety like how how to how to quote unquote take control of the uncontrollable in a sense and and, mm. and make people feel feel um uh, feel safer about it and obviously i'm not i'm not you know a, a professional when it comes to 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 these kind of questions but i i can see how that kind of can really help alleviate anxiety it certainly did it in me you know when i come from germany mm. we love planning and strategies and everything and then real life <laughs> happens and you get anxious uh, but actually um that mindset has has really helped i think in terms of pushback it's interesting because um i think the the intuitive pushback that some people have when they see the title is oh yeah is this kind of one of these law of attraction type things where it's just kind of like voodoo type can you create your own luck or is it about privilege where like you can like out of privilege create more privilege um and 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 that you know to me as an author it always feels like ah but then please first read the book and then you can uh, comment about it i feel like sometimes people comment about a title without having necessarily um um been diving into the book and so i think um if if there was any pushback i think it's 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 from people who might see the title and say okay luck is probably uh, is that some voodoo stuff versus versus diving into it um and then the law of attraction type where it's like oh is this just something you know spiritual um where um whereas obviously this is a science based framework where you know after the third glass of red wine I'm a big big fan to talk also about how spirituality plays into it but I think in general I'm a I'm a I'm a scientist at heart and so that's that's to me at the core of it yeah for sure and before we let you go since you mentioned spirituality the science you've explained maybe explain the spirituality as well well look i think one of the most beautiful things with serendipity is is the magic the, the magical feeling in the moment right this kind of idea of oh my god like what a coincidence and 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 i think that magic um we never want to take away like that magic right i think that is kind of at the core of of serendipity um something that that i've been thinking more and more about um talking with with a wonderful colleague of mine um who did a lot of work around synchronicity is the question of what's what's similar and what's different from things like synchronicity which are these kind of meaningful events in time right where let's say these moments where you know you're thinking of your sister and exactly that moment she calls you or um you're thinking of an old school friend and exactly that moment you bump into them in the street right those are the kind of moments they are beautiful but there's no active part we have in them it's just literally in a way 
you know, a kind of probabilistic question of what's happening, but they feel beautifully magical, right? Versus serendipity really being the active element of, of having to do something when you bump into someone, you know, how do you cast a hook and then some kind of uh, amazing thing comes comes out of it. Um, but to your point of the spiritual, I, I've always been fascinated by how science and religion a lot of times say the same thing, um, where, you know, when you look at... A lot of the social sciences, especially in sociology and, and psychology, are around this idea that you, if you put good things out there, and if you if you're good at building a community around yourself, and if you put good things into that community, it's very likely that good things will come back to you. And that's mm. in a lot of religions, in a lot of spiritual ideas. That's you know, the more you contribute to the world and 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 to to people, the more. Uh, you know, Kamag almost uh, things come come back to you, and I think I've always been inspired by this, and and I think serendipity has been a nice excuse to explore those overlaps. That at the end of the day, it's a lot about saying we are all interconnected, and we are all here. We all are looking for a higher purpose. A lot of us find it in philosophy, right? I grew up more focused on philosophy. Others in in religion. But at the end of the day, we all want the same thing, which is connecting with something bigger than ourselves. And I think that's kind right. of something, you know, again, how we do that, if we create that by our organizations, by our religion and so on, that's always the thing. But I'm a big fan of of really, you know, reframing. I, I used to always be kind of skeptical of, of religion and, and everything else. Um, but But what I've learned really is that at the end of the day, religion and meditation, for example, have a lot in common they are about connecting with something bigger than ourselves like meditation you're connecting with nature you're connecting with yourself um you're connecting with 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 kind of you know um um uh, that and the same with a prayer you're connecting with some kind of higher force that that's that's around there being at energy or uh, uh, in meditation and so long story short um i i feel the beautiful thing around serendipity is that when we look at it scientifically we can also see that actually the same thing has been said by a lot of um spiritual um, um, leaders as well. For sure. Uh, any parting message for uh, uh, for readers of your book, for people listening to the show, or is there any question that we should have asked you but we haven't? <laughs> That's a great question. I think you know. At the end of the day, it comes back to Viktor Frankl and and my favorite quote, or not quote. He never really said it, but like the spirit of what he says is is so much about that we can not always pick the situation we're in, but we can always pick our response to it. And that's where our freedom is, our liberty, and, and in a way, our serendipity. And so I'm really a big fan, especially in moments like at the moment, to not take a situation as given. Like, yes, like a lot of people are being dealt really bad cards at the moment. And, and I think that's something where, again, we can never blame anyone for bad luck. We can never, you know, like like not see societal inequality. I think that's that's really really important to see that as, as a first uh, aspect. And then at the same time, I think for each of us individually to really think about: is there still something in this situation that I can I can respond to that I have control over? Because I think a lot of times in life we focus on the things we don't have control over, and that gives us a lot of anxiety. But actually, how can I focus on the things that I can control? And, and that's actually giving us then, then, then more meaning and, and joy and, and probably also, you know, make, make things happen a bit more. And so my kind of key suggestion is reading Viktor Frankl and, and, and really diving deep into it. 
And my key suggestion is reading Connecting the Dots around the world. Hopefully, network capital people uh, have already been motivated, and I'm sure they're going to pass this on. Uh, Christian, congratulations on becoming a husband, a father, uh, and for writing a fascinating book. Um, I think the message is profound, and I'm sure lots of people who are in need of connection and rediscovery are going to find meaning in this. Really appreciate you taking time out for us for writing the book and uh, see you soon. Thank you so much, Shukin. I really appreciate it. Take care.